ordinary people empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. This is the Acts of the Apostles. For more information, go to carolinesprings.church. And so if you've been tracking with us over the last couple of weeks and you've been hearing what's been going on, you'll know that the gospel has exploded throughout ancient, the ancient Greco-Roman world. So Jesus has died, but 3,000 people shortly after became Christians for the very first time. And day by day, numbers are added and great joy is had by all the disciples, all the apostles, all the early church as the church grows, not only in numbers, but in love and appreciation of God. And so we've had this cataclysmic event. Jesus has died, but the gospel has spread out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And our church is testament to that fact. Literally, we are the ends of the earth. Australia, Victoria, the fact that we've got a hundred people this morning coming to celebrate a Jew who was 33 years old from a backwater town in Israel, 2,000 years on, is fact that the gospel has done something incredible. And so what we've done over the last 15 or so weeks as we've made our way through the book of Acts is we've taken this big macro look at history. We've seen the big turning points. We've seen the big events that have happened. But what I want to do this morning is something a little bit different. I want to go to the micro. Okay? Instead of looking at the big picture of Acts, I want to delve into the stories within the story. I want to have a look at the story of Lydia. I want to have a look at the story of the demon-possessed fortune teller. I want to have a look at the story of the jailer. Because I think something happens sometimes that I think really restricts us when we open up the Bible and we open up the Scriptures is that we lack imagination. I'm, I'm not talking about imagining things that aren't there. That's heresy. What I'm imagining, what I'm, what I'm talking about is being able to imagine ourselves in the story, being able to take part in what happens, being able to feel the story, being able to smell the story as if you were there, as if Jesus was speaking those words and you were hearing them yourself. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to take a look. <laughs> we're going to take a look at the stories within the story of the book of Acts. So before I do that, I'm just going to pray. So if you want to bow your heads or find whatever prayer position you find most glorifying to God. Father, I pray that you open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you this morning. Father, I pray that as we read your word, you speak to us just as if you spoke to Lydia, just as if you spoke to the demon-possessed fortune teller, just as you spoke to the jailer. Father, I pray that the gospel speaks a powerful word to us this morning and that people would be freed and that we would be able to make all of life all about Jesus because of it. Amen. All right, friends, if you want to pick up your Bibles, we're going to take off from verse 13 in Acts chapter 16. This is what it says. You can also follow it on the screen. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the, woman who had gathered, the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. 
The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay, so let's start with the story of Lydia. So Lydia is a successful businesswoman, a seller of purple cloth. Just imagine a, a fashion mogul, right? So Thyatira was a big port city that has a lot, of, um, a lot of fashion, a lot of industry. And so she was a well-known, reputed woman. She was successful in her own rights. Philippi at that stage was a Roman colony in Macedonia that was a big town. So, uh, so Lydia was probably a woman who had owned, owned houses in both towns. Think like owning property in London and New York. This is the kind of woman that we're talking about. She's successful. She's well-known. And she's a moral person. So Lydia's probably not a Jew, but she's come to believe in the Jewish God. She's rejected Roman paganism. She's saying, there's not many gods, there's one God, and that God, I think, is the God of Israel. And so what I'm doing, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to perform the Jewish customs. So she's well off, she's successful, she's well known, and she's religious. So this, this probably ticks a lot of the things for us, right? A lot, for a lot of us, this is our experience. This is what we want. We want to be successful. We want to be well-known of. We want to be moral in the eyes of the world. We want to be religious. Make sure that we've got all the boxes ticked. And this is Lydia. So for many of us, she is us. And so as they're having a first century Bible study by the river, Paul comes along, finds them, starts explaining the scriptures. And suddenly Lydia's heart was opened to the gospel and something has changed in her. So they're sitting there praying. They're probably reading the Old Testament. And Paul comes along starts preaching the gospel of Jesus and something has happened in Lydia because before, before she was this well-off, successful, religious person, but she hadn't yet done the I'm going to make all of life all about Jesus thing. There was a disconnect for her. She could do the well-off, religious thing. She was the kind of person who rocked up on Easter and Christmas. She was the kind of person who came to church every couple of weeks. She was the kind of person who when everything hit the fan, she would chuck up a prayer to God to make sure that everything went well. But something had happened in her. Her heart was opened. I think what happened to her is something that John Piper explains really well. See, in his amazing book, Desiring God, if you want a book to change your perspective on Christianity, go read that. He says this, I've stopped asking people anymore if they believe in God. I've stopped asking that question anymore because the familiar refrain when I ask people whether they believe in God or not is yes. My landlady, she believes in God. The drug dealer down the street, he believes in God. Everyone believes in some kind of God. So the question I've started asking is this, do you treasure Christ above all else? Because a quasi-religious, well-off, moral person is not a Christian. A Christian is someone who desires to have Christ as their treasure. 
Jesus describes a story where he, he tells a story about a man who found a treasure in a field and in his joy sold everything that he had to have that treasure. For Christians, that treasure is Christ. And that is what Lydia has found. She's a moral, well-off, successful businesswoman. And in the middle, middle of that, Jesus steps in and saves her from the shackles of religion. He saves her from the shackles of trying to perform. He saves her from trying to live up to the standards that she won't be able to meet. So for some of us, that's going to be our story. Lydia is us. We grew up in the church. We did all the things we were meant to do. But we hadn't yet made all of life all about Jesus. And he steps into the gap and calls us out. That's the story of Lydia. So let's keep going. Verse 16. Once again, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. And she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. So this this verse is a little bit straight up confusing. Okay? Because if you just if you just read it, it looks like Paul's being surrounded by a hype man. Okay? Does any, has anyone ever listened to Public Enemy or like Flavor Flav? It's like a lot of blank stares. But this is what a hype man does. A hype man follows the main member of the group. And when they do something amazing, they stand back and go, Yeah, boy! Right? So like they go around and just as they're about to hit their crescendo, they're at the crowd going, Damn, son! That's right. I can see that there's not a lot of fans of Public Enemy here. That's, that's Okay. But this is what's happening, right? Paul's going around preaching the gospel and this woman's standing in the crowd going, Damn, Paul! Keep going! And it's confusing because this seems like a good thing, right? Because it's true. Paul is a servant of the Most High God. And he is telling you the way to be saved. But the problem is that the woman becomes a distraction. That's the issue here. So she keeps doing it all the day long. And so eventually Paul commands the Spirit to come out of her. And I'm just guessing that for some of us, this probably doesn't hit home too much. Now, I don't know the the makeup of our entire church, but I'm just going to assume that we don't have many demon-possessed former slave girls in a congregation. I might be wrong. Um, There might be people here saying... You got me, man. You got me. You've just, ah, oh, that's, my, that's my world. Okay? But I'm, I'm guessing that's not the story for, for most of us. But I don't think that's the heart of what's going on for this woman. See, whether she was forced to or whether she's given her own life over, she's become consumed by this way of living to the point where a demon has taken hold in her life is making all of life 
all about that. She's owned by someone, so she's not her own anymore. And so in the middle of this, it's not a story about this demon-possessed slave girl, but a woman who's just caught in the worst of situations. See, and I love the fact that this story comes right after Lydia. See, there's some of us this morning who aren't going to be able to relate to Lydia. Who aren't going to be able to relate to the always grown up in church. I've had a successful life. I've always tried to do good. See, for some of us, that's not our story. Our story is the story of horrible things happening, of being caught in a web of addiction to drugs or alcohol, or being caught in a sexuality gone wrong. And in the middle of that, Jesus stepped in there. We're not going to be able to relate to Lydia and her story. But the story of this woman that Paul sets free, that's our story. Jesus found us in a far darker place than a first century Bible study. He found us in the place where something horrible has happened. And we don't know whether anyone will ever love us again or ever want us again. And Jesus steps in and says, you are mine. I've loved you, I've ransomed you, I've rescued you, I set you free. And it's my, my contention that the woman that Paul is talking about here becomes a Christian and forms part of the new church. And you're not going to find that in the scriptures. Probably it doesn't say that straight out, but what you should do is there's a little question thing after, under there. You should grab your phone and say, Jimmy, how do you know that? Because I love to explain it but uh, we probably don't have time to go down that rabbit hole right now. So we've got two stories. We've got Lydia, well-off, successful, religious, saved by Christ. And we've got a demon-possessed slave girl caught up in this web, forced into or given herself over into this life. And in the darkest place, Christ saves so we, we keep reading on. So we get introduced. What happens next is that Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. So the owners of this slave girl are upset. The spirit has been cast out. She can't tell the future anymore. So their avenue to money is gone. And so what they do is they get upset and they bring the authorities in and they get Paul and Silas thrown into jail because they're Jews and they're making a ruckus in the city which if you've been following or read Acts ever, is basically the game plan. Turn up, preach the gospel, make a ruckus. That's the game plan. So they get thrown into prison, and this jailer comes along. So we're going to look about his story. So Paul and Silas have been whipped. They've been given their lashings. And the jailer says in verse 24, verse 23, okay, after they've been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Okay? So they've had the torture happen to them. They've had the pain happen to them. And they get told to get th- just, just guard them carefully. Make sure these guys don't go out. Make sure they don't leave. If you've read Acts, basically if you ever want an earthquake, just lock an apostle up. That, that, that's, that's like the sign. It's like a big button, apostle lock, Boom! So they wanted them to guard them carefully. And so what the jailer does 
is that when he'd received the orders to guard them carefully, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their their feet in the stocks. That seems fairly harmless until you know a little bit about Roman jails. See, the innermost cell was a little bit lower than any other cell in the jail. And so where there was any waste or fecal matter, it would inevitably slide down to the furthest point of the jail. Okay? So that's where Paul and Silas have gone. They've gone to basically Werribee, the sewerage farm, right? And so the jailers put them in stocks. So stocks were these anklet braces and these braces all over the body that would be forcing them into uh, positions that their body didn't want to be in, would leave them broken and bruised. So the jailer has humiliated them even further. Guard them carefully. Instead, the jailer's thrown them into a pile of crap and left them there. So we pick it up in verse 27. So, apostle gets locked up, the earthquake button gets hit. And it says, The jailer woke up at once, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied to him, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So we're just going to enter a bit of conjecture here. So I don't know this for sure, but I assume that this is what's going on. See, the kinds of people that were given the property of jails, so the kind of people who were jailers, were former highly decorated Roman soldiers who had been to the front line and been given a cushy job to retire in. So Philippi was one of those places that Roman soldiers would get sent after they'd been in wars. Um, And so if you know anything about Rome as an army or as a, a nation, is that they were pretty brutal. This is not um, a nice nation in some ways. They were brutal. They were the hardest, the toughest, and the meanest. That's why they won so often. The, 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 the peace that, that came over the empire around the time of Rome was only because Rome beat everyone else and they didn't want to rise up against Rome. So the reality is, is this jailer has probably seen some things that he didn't want to see. The reality is is this jailer has probably participated in some things that he hasn't been able to escape from. So you look at the front lines right now, young men and young women who are sent to the front lines now often come back with something we now know is post-traumatic stress disorder. So they've seen things that they can't carry and it's so overwhelming that they react with anger and bitterness. And I don't, want to, I don't know for sure whether the jailer has got PTSD, 
but he sure seems to enjoy reveling in the misery of throwing Paul and Silas in jail. He's told to guard them carefully, and he does by chucking them in to the fecal matter. So this jailer is anger, he has bitterness, he has something he can't carry. He comes in, finds the doors wide open, and just as he's about to kill himself, Paul steps in, tells him the gospel, and he gets saved. And to be honest, that's the story of some of us. There's been something happen in our lives, maybe at a young age, that for the rest of your life you've had to carry and it's caused you to become angry and bitter about your situations. Or maybe you've participated in something, something you chose to do, but the consequences of that are so overwhelming that the, 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 you just lash out with bitterness and anger and rage. You might be able to hide it. You might be able to push it deep down, but you know it's there. And so the story of the jailer is that even in the anger, even in the bitterness... Jesus steps in and saves. He rescues the jailer. It says that he and his whole household were saved. The jailer was most likely facing execution because that's what, if you let prisoners go free, that's what happens. That's why he wanted to kill himself. Jesus steps in and says, No, you're mine and I will save you. And the funny thing is that in the most unlikely place, a Roman colony in Macedonia, the church is formed by a well-off, successful businesswoman, a former slave girl, fortune teller, and a jailer who reveled in anger and bitterness. That's the church in Philippi. It's not this white, middle-class, nice-off, place. It's this messy conglomerate of people from all ages, all stages, all races, all backgrounds, because that's what the gospel does. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened to you, Jesus Christ has died for you on a cross to save you, to set you free, and to send you on mission. So I want to see I want to share some things that I see in the book of Acts, and specifically Acts chapter 16, okay? And I encourage you, if you've got questions, chuck them up, because uh, I want, we want to talk about this. Well, after about 10 minutes of the service, after the service, we'll have a time where we can ask questions and that kind of thing. Um, I want to hear your questions. But here's the first thing that I see in the book of Acts, and specifically Acts chapter 16, that where the gospel flourishes, people flourish. So there's a connection between the gospel taking hold and the flourishing of people. So the, the, the traditional way for Paul to enter a city is that he would go find a new city and head directly to the synagogue. The synagogue was where it's at. That's where it was going to get most traction. There was going to be people there who knew the Old Testament, who would be able to see Jesus in it. But he doesn't do that in Philippi because there isn't a synagogue there. 
according to Jewish tradition, you had to have a quorum of 10 male Jewish house leaders. If you didn't have that, you don't have a synagogue. And so when he enters Philippi, there is no synagogue, and I'm guessing that there's probably not nine house leaders, and they're just looking for an extra one to make out the numbers. The most likely outcome is that the only person in Philippi who's following Jewish customs, who's religious, who um, appreciates God, is Lydia and her household. That's probably it. So Lydia is leading the Jewish synagogue, question marks, uh, quotation marks, but she's put to the side. But here's what we see. Lydia has been put to the sideline, suddenly becomes the home base for the church in Philippi. Her house becomes home base. We see the slave girl turned free. We see the jailer saved out of his anger and bitterness. There's a connection between the gospel being preached and the gospel flourishing and people flourishing. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about um, material possessions. I'm not talking about that kind of flourishing. I'm not talking about the good life. I'm talking about the life that we were meant to live, the way, the way we were made to live. That's what happens when the gospel is preached. People start making all of life all about Jesus and discover that's exactly why they were made. And so they flourish. Second thing that I see in Acts 16 is that where the gospel flourishes, you don't get to stay in the same place that you did before. A lack of change and the gospel taking hold in your life are incompatible. There's no such thing as someone who has been saved by Christ, has been adopted by God and staying in the same place that they were before. It doesn't happen. You can't find it in the scriptures and we shouldn't find it in the church where the gospel flourishes, people change. You don't stay in the same place as before. So you see the, the, uh, the slave girl who's been forced into this way of living or chosen into it and she gets taken out of it. She doesn't stay there. Lydia doesn't stay a moral, religious, successful person. She gets freed. The slave girl doesn't stay a slave. She gets freed. The jailer doesn't stay in his anger and his bitterness. He gets freed. That's what the gospel does. That's what Christ does. When the gospel flourishes, we don't get to stay in the same place as before because too much has changed about us. Too much has changed. See, we've not only gone from non-Christians to Christians. The Bible says that we've gone from death to life. We've gone from children of wrath to adopted children of the Most High King who now have intimate access to His throne room. And you don't get that and say the same. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I've got to do all this stuff now. I'm saying your very identity is different. The way you think is different. The Holy Spirit is renewing your mind. The gospel is transforming your desires and your passions. Because that's what happens when the gospel flourishes. That's what happens in a place like Philippi. They don't stay the same 
and where the gospel flourishes, you don't get to say the same either. Here's the last thing that I see. Where the gospel flourishes, people get sent on mission. So do you notice what happens when people get saved in Acts 16? Lydia gets saved. She's holding this Bible study for this group of women because there's no one around to form a synagogue. And as soon as she gets saved, she convinces the apostles to use her home as a home base for their mission in Philippi. As soon as she gets saved, she gets used, her gifts and her potential. Think about the jailer. The jailer is about to kill himself Instead, Paul preaches the gospel. The jailer becomes a Christian, trusts in Jesus for his salvation. And the very first thing that he does is he goes to his whole house and brings the apostles with them so that they can preach the word of the Lord to them. They can get saved as well. You don't get to say the same because you get sent on mission. Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not one for people on the sidelines. It's worth too much. You're worth too much to allow your gifts and your passions just to waste away whilst ministry can happen. And that's the whole point of the book of Acts. What have we said all along? The book of Acts is about ordinary people empowered by the Holy Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. That's the whole point. Don't look at Lydia or the slave girl, or the jailer, and go, I can't do what they do. Moments earlier, the jailer wanted to kill himself. Lydia, she's doing well, but she's not free. Slave girl, she's still caught up in this web of her old life. And the gospel comes in and frees them, and they form the most unlikeliest church ever, not because of who they are, not because of what they have, but because the Holy Spirit has empowered them to live that way. That's the whole game. And I feel a bit dodgy because I'm going to tell a story, but I didn't ask permission beforehand. This time it's not about Sarah, so I'll be in less trouble this time. So in a couple of weeks, we say farewell to one of our youth leaders who's going to Japan. Kyle uh, has been a leader now for the last year, and he's going to Japan for a year. Okay, And we could... uh, We could be upset about that because Kyle's a great leader. Kyle is someone who makes all of life all about Jesus. He's invested in our young people. Your young people probably know him well because he's loved them well. And so we could be upset about that. But what we said the last time that we caught up together is that we're not sad because Kyle's leaving. We're glad because Kyle's being sent to Japan to go and make all of life all about Jesus there and to proclaim the gospel and to tell people about him. That's the pattern. It's not because Kyle's amazing. I mean, Kyle is amazing, but he's an ordinary man who's been empowered by the Spirit to go and make all of life all about Jesus with all his gifts and all his talents wherever he is, and that is the charge for each and every one of us. You want to flourish? Go to where the gospel is. You want to change? Go to where the gospel is. You want to get sent? Go to where the gospel is. Because that's the message of Acts 16. Where the gospel flourishes, people flourish. You don't get to say the same, and we get sent. So friends, I'm going to pray for us right now. If you've got questions, send them through. Because I think this is an important message for us. 
Because you might be saying, well, I'm not, I'm not exactly one of these guys. You might be a case of all three. The point remains. In the middle of wherever you are, whatever you're doing, Christ saves, he rescues, he redeems, he ransoms us. He calls us home and he uses us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the book of Acts. That we get to see that the birth of the church was not birthed in a glorious side of war. It's not this amazing victory. It's not led by people who are supremely talented. Father, I praise you that we get to see that the birth of the church, the event that has changed the entire world, was due to ordinary people who have been empowered by the Spirit to witness to the Lord Jesus. That the making of all of life, all about Jesus, isn't a human endeavor but a spiritual one. That no matter where we are or what we've done or where we've been, Christ can step in and save. That there is no one who is too far gone. There is not one of us who is too good to receive the gospel. There's not one of us who has done enough to not need Jesus. Father, I pray right now that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts for you. Father, preach the same gospel to us so that we might be free. Father, we want to be free. We pray this in the name of Christ, who has died on a cross, who did live 2,000 years ago, who was resurrected, who lives and reigns now, so that we might know that we can be free and free indeed. Amen. Friends, what we're going to do now is we're going to sing some songs.